Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. If your brain has a habit of running on overdrive, even if you meditate and do all that good stuff, I am right there with you. Sometimes, all you need is a little break. So once a week, I invite you to ignore the voices in your head by listening to the ones in mine. This week, I'm thinking a lot about work. Well, that's a broad topic, so let's narrow it down. Specifically, I mean a job, what you do to pay the bills. Right now is a pretty good time to be looking for a job, but it's always stressful. Someone close to me is going through it right now, and we were saying how it's kind of like dating, only without the fun part. And you don't really know what you're getting into until after all the interviews are over and things get real. So how do we know if we've found the job that's just right for us? Or if we're ever going to land our dream job, the one that has all the things we're looking for? Well, maybe that's not the right way to look at it. Sometimes, what looks like the dream job is really the nightmare. I'm thinking about my husband, who's an actor, who has worked in theaters all over the country. And years ago, he landed a role that he pined for. It was a leading man part that he had wanted to play forever. He knew he was right for it. He knew it would play to his strengths, but it would still challenge him. And the theater was prestigious. It had a big subscription audience. It had a lush budget for sets and costumes. The job meant moving across the country for months, but that's the actor's life. And he was thrilled. He trained. He studied the script until he'd honed his understanding of it to a fine point. He had his lines down cold before the first rehearsal. By the third rehearsal, two things became clear. The director had the imagination of a clam. The leading lady was beautiful. She was also hostile and liked to throw tantrums. My husband's reviews in that production were good, but the entire experience was a misery for him. Sometime later, he accepted a role in a play that he'd never heard of with a director he'd never heard of, partly because he owed the casting director a favor. It was the kind of play in which all the actors were part of an ensemble, each playing multiple roles. So nobody was a lead, nobody was the star. Some of the play's lines were in an esoteric Central European language. He showed up to the first rehearsal with no idea what to expect. Again, two things quickly became clear. The director was brilliant. He had a sparkling wit and a deep respect for his cast. The actors were delightful, team players who were aces at their craft. The play ended up being a hit, and my husband had one of the best experiences of his life in the theater. This explains why he no longer has dream roles. He's learned that a good gig depends on multiple variables, most of which are not about which character he plays or how much time he spends in the spotlight. And other jobs aren't all that different. Most of us have more conventional ways of making a living than performing in front of an audience night after night, and the nature of our work usually involves fewer and far less abrupt changes in location and co-workers. But the essentials of what makes us happy on the job are similar, and they often have less to do with the role we take on than it appears. In America, when we meet someone, one of the first questions we're usually asked is, what do you do? We know right away what it means. What is it you do that someone else values enough to pay you for? We're not being asked about our stamp collection or our fascination with rock climbing. That conversation comes later, once we're done talking about work. It's not that we're all status hounds, necessarily. 
It's simply that work occupies such a central organizing principle in our lives. We ask the what do you do question because it allows us to place one another in a world order we understand. Our jobs determine the shape of our days and fill so much of our time. Some professions, of course, are haloed with prestige. A heart surgeon gets more nods than a lifeguard, even though both are in the business of saving lives. It has to do with money, of course, as well as the specialized skill and training that a job requires. Even more, it's about the singular difficulty of either getting the job or being able to do it well. Star athletes command breathtaking sums, not because, unlike nurses and farmers, we couldn't get along without them. But most of us have somewhat humbler callings. Yet we still have huge expectations around work. We want a job that provides us with satisfaction, recognition, respect, and appreciation, which, again, are many of the same qualities we look for in an ideal partner. A lot like dating. Beyond that, under the weird American health care system, we need good health care. We also look for a solid retirement plan and, of course, a paycheck. The bigger, the better. The brass ring is when we land a position that has all the tangibles we aspire to. The fat paycheck, the perks, the prestige. We get in on the ground floor of a hot new startup with huge capitalization and a keg in the staff room, a ping-pong table in the workspace, and the alluring dangle of stock options. Or maybe we get the coveted residency at the top hospital in the city. Or we get the call from our agent. We've got the part, and the second season is already a shoe-in. It feels like winning the lottery. And sometimes, it is exactly that. There are dream jobs that do indeed turn out to be a dream. But having those boxes ticked is no guarantee. The prestige, pay, and perks might be abundant, but if the chemistry is off, even the plushest of jobs devolve into, at best, the thing we do that pays the bills. We start living for weekends, or vacations if we feel like we can take them. Many Americans don't. The fancy nameplate, the corner office, the fat salary may come at a steep price. Our bosses, our customers, our patients, our shareholders have sky-high expectations of us in return. Meeting those expectations can drain our time and energy to the point where we do little else but work. And in the corners of our day that aren't spent on the job, we can't stop thinking about it. This is why the term work-life balance is so worn down it's just a buzzword. We probably discussed it with the hiring committee during our job interview and were met with nodding heads and reassurances. And then we find ourselves working 65 or 80-hour weeks and having to tell our kids that, no, we can't coach the t-ball team this year either. That's what has people all over social media talking about quiet quitting, which is a terrible name for a worthy principle. You do your job, you do it well, you put in the time you're paid for, and then you sign off. You don't give away your time and your skills for free. But that's a different topic. What is it about a job that's most likely to make you happy, or at least very willing to go to work? In my observation, the right job for you is usually about the other people. Back to the metaphor, being on either side of the hiring process is like speed dating followed by an arranged wedding. Both parties go in with high hopes and a laundry list of what they're hoping to get but there's never enough time and no way to guarantee things will gel until after the commitment is made. And once the honeymoon period is over, which these days 
might last until after lunch on day one of the job, the partnership only works if both sides feel like they're getting a good deal. And that rarely happens through sheer luck. Whatever our field and aspirations, it helps if we know ourselves well and can get our egos to pipe down a little. What really makes us happy to climb out of our warm beds and head off to work? Obviously, if you've invested a fortune in time, money, and education to be, say, an endodontist, you rightfully expect to work in that field. Even so, what's going to get you through a long day of root canals and dental implants? Your income? Yes. Satisfaction in a job well done, sure. But even when things don't go so well, which I hope, if you're an endodontist, is extremely rare, the element that makes your day is the people you work with. Relationships are the key. Even if you're an introvert who works from home, even if you're a writer, an extreme case if ever there was one, what keeps you going against the slings and arrows of working life is other people. They may be right there next to you in the surgical suite or only appear as talking heads on Zoom or part of a Slack channel. But if you're happy in your work, or at least committed to it, you have people whom you don't want to let down. Multiple studies have shown that soldiers in combat are less motivated to fight for a cause than they are for their comrades in arms. These are the people they trust to look out for them no matter what. Soldiers aren't so much willing to die for a flag as they are for a buddy. Thankfully, most occupations are not as poised on the brink of survival, but the principle remains. All jobs have their rough days. All contain some moments that make us wish we could have stayed in bed. After all, that's why they call it work. But if you've got people around you who you care about, respect, and enjoy, then even under tough conditions you'll keep showing up. It's other people who provide those intangibles, satisfaction, recognition, respect, and appreciation that make work worthwhile. So maybe don't worry so much about the dream role. Find out who else is in the cast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. New episodes land every Wednesday, so if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review or, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, a star rating. That really helps build the audience, and it's much appreciated. And do visit me on my website, janmflynn.net. Until next time, may all the roles you play in life let you feel like a star. And may all your thoughts be good ones. <laughs>